We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, everyone, welcome into another Buzz Beat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast here as we are recording on Twitter Spaces. This is Richie, and I'm joined by Lee today as we recap tonight's game between the Hornets and the Cavs. And as we do record here on Spaces, if you guys have a request and would like to speak up, we'll definitely allow it. Whether it's a comment, a question, we'll take any. Uh, my goal is always to get one one person per, per <laughs> recording here. So, Lee, how's it going? Anything new in your life? No, no, nothing new, man. Just... Uh... You know, a little, a little bit disappointed uh, after this Charlotte Hornets home loss. Um, I'm sure we'll get into kind of some individual players and, and things of that nature. But uh, you know, give give the Cavs credit. Um, you know, Jared Allen was fantastic. Mobley played 40 minutes and and made an impact in a lot of different different ways. Um, you know, this Cavs team went three and two on their road trip swing and the Hornets are now about to depart on a five game road trip swing. So, uh, I mean, honestly, I would take three and two if you could uh, give me that, give me that uh, option right now for this next five game uh, West, West, Western conference swing. Yeah, definitely. I think you would take three and two in a heartbeat, but as we were mentioning prior to the recording here, we would also would have rather have the Hornets be six and two heading into this uh, swing here instead of five and three. But before we get to the actual game, uh, the Hornets unveiled their new city edition uniform. We don't need to spend too much time on this, but I'm sure we've all seen the pictures of this thing. Pinstripes. Well, I guess it tries to incorporate, you know, different parts of the uniform of Bobcats and Charlotte uniforms of the past. There's like a Charlotte script that's never been used before that's on the front. The number font is supposed to be reminiscent of the Bobcats. On the waistband, there's an H logo with the Buzz City. That was a part of the original uniforms in 1988, obviously minus the Buzz City part. Any thoughts on this? Are you a uniform guy? Do you care too much about the aesthetics of like what they play in, or does that not really matter to you much? 
So I would say I'm like a I'm like a six and a half or a seven out of ten in terms of like caring about uniforms, <laughs> but I do like just in general. And I mean, I, I don't think this is breaking news or anything, but like the Charlotte Hornets in general traditionally like have fantastic merch and great colors, and that's why you see like like the Charlotte Hornets have kind of like from from like a gear standpoint is like permeated pop culture at certain at certain times like even before the lamello ball days like the throwback charlotte hornet um starter jackets and jerseys like they have kind of been like a staple of of like pop culture in general so so that's kind of my thoughts. I I think you tweeted something earlier today, Richie. It was, and I think it was like more of your knee jerk reaction than anything else. So maybe your opinion has changed a little bit. But I t- I think you said something about it being a little bit too busy, which I tend to agree with. I do love the honeycombs in general. I do love pinstripes in general. I'm not sure I love them both on the same jersey. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. It is a little bit busy to me. A lot going on, and I know they're trying to incorporate all these different parts of past jerseys to kind of mix it together. I guess that's why they call it the the mixtape jersey. But it's one of those things, like, maybe they could have toned down a little bit of it and still have the same feel. Like, the gradient top and the gradient bottom. Like, maybe if you just had the bottom as gradient and the bottom just had the honeycomb and the top just had the pinstripes, it would still have the same feel to it. And I think it was just a little bit of an overkill. I do like the shorts. <laughs> I do like the shorts. Yeah, the shorts are cool. Yeah, like the oversized logo on the side and uh, the waistband and stuff like that. You know, you're probably like a 6.5. I would probably say I'm like a 7.5. I, I do kind of care about okay. this stuff. And yeah, the, the purple and teal, like you mentioned, and, and pop culture is just so iconic. I think it, you know, yeah. just just by having that color combination, I think these, these uniforms are going to be looked at it in a certain way. Like people are just going to like gravitate towards the Charlotte Hornets uniform. And, you know, some people really like these. I, I, I just, you know, I guess I got to see them in action first before I make any definitive statements. But as of now, I actually am not a fan of it. Uh, at, a, at a 10, I'll give it a... I'll give it a 5.5 out of 10. I mean, maybe that's being a little bit harsh. I, I do love the oversized, like, actual Hornet logo. Yeah. Like, that's one of my favorite kind of, like, little niche Hornets things. So I might have to I might have to get my hands on some of these shorts. But yeah. I, I'm mostly in agreement with you. I think, like, at the end of the day, you know, these are kind of um, – you know, these are, like – I don't know if they're going to be one-time things, but they're obviously not going to be, like – used very often so i guess it's okay to kind of go loud on like a one-time thing and then i know you were going to kind of quickly mention like just fate like i'm just so partial to like the old school yep purple just straight purple with the pinstripes or just straight teal like i love either of those kind of like and those are both kind of like morning Johnson Bogue era yep. jerseys that I'm just ma- like, I, like they could put those on today and I'd be totally fine with it. Yeah. And, and they've done that before where, we, where they've worn those like retro unis. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the favorite alternate of mine is the purple pinstripe, like you said, from the mid nineties, but also nice. the 2017, 18, uh, they had a black like city edition. I'm not usually oh, those a f- are real cool. Yeah, I'm not usually a fan of black uniforms, especially for teams that, you know, don't have that as their team colors, but those are nice. They have like the gradient side panel. So, uh, if no one knows what I'm talking about, maybe I can tweet out the uh, picture of that a little bit later. But yeah, I like those the best of like the modern era, but of course, those mid-90s purple pit stripes are my favorite. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We've spent a little bit too much time on this uniform talk. We are not a fashion show. I mean, based show. on the result tonight, let's just keep talking about pinstripes and honeycombs, yes. honestly. Yes, <laughs> Let's think about the uh, the good old days. Yeah, so this this game was a very weird one, uh, and one in which the Hornets were down, I think, at least like 19 points at one point. And like normal, they come back in the second half. They dig this hole, and they, they tease us coming back. So I was taking notes in this game, trying to figure out what went right. First half was not pretty to watch. Shots were not falling. Uh, I I took a note of this. In the first half, they shot 35% on twos, 33% from threes, 43.8 true shooting percentage. And we always say, like, it's a make-or-miss league. Like, I get that. But you got to give credit to the Cavs as well for frustrating the Hornets. A lot of times yeah. I noticed that they were pushing, like, the, them off their drives, like, not letting them get into the offense cleanly. The Hornets didn't get a lot of paint touches early on in this game. And it just kind of threw them off rhythm. And until the fourth quarter, like, they sorely missed Rozier's three-point shooting. Uh, I don't yeah. have the stats in front of me right now. But maybe four of eleven, I think he shot from three. Four of, yep, four of eleven yeah. for Rozier from three. And what would we say? Like three of those were in the fourth quarter. Maybe all four. I'm not even sure. Yeah, three of them definitely, and maybe even all four. I'm trying to remember when his first three was. He, you know, Rozier. I, I did think tonight was the first time he kind of looked like himself, just from a strictly like moving, you know, like movement standpoint. He seemed to be like mostly in sync physically, but, but I think there's still kind of some rhythm issues there. 
and he'll settle back in. Like, I'm not worried about Terry Rozier uh, by any stretch, like from a long-term standpoint. I think he's probably still, you know, 85 to 90% of his health himself. I don't think he's, he's quite to 100%, but I, di- I did think he was like sprinting off screens pretty explosively. Um, and particularly in the fourth quarter, like you said, he got going. Not to jump around too, too much, but I just think like one thing that really sticks out to me from this game is number one, of course, the 17 turnovers, which this is a team that is taking care of the ball extremely well all yeah, year, which is a big factor, you know, in their five and two start really sloppy, particularly in the first half, particularly in that first quarter. And then the other thing that stuck out to me, you know, the three versatile, you know, wings that, that have, that have all played pretty darn well to start this year. Hayward's two for seven from the field tonight. Bridges is four for 18 from the field and Ubre is one for eight from the field. So like, you don't have to be a math major to kind of run the numbers on that and know that that's not a positive, uh, positive result from those three tonight. No, not, not, not a lot of offense going for this team. Uh, they came in spurts in the third quarter and it came in spurts in the fourth quarter with LaMelo and, and Rozier. One player that I felt like had it going on pretty much for throughout the course of the game was Cody Martin. And this guy continues to surprise me in terms of his impact this season. And more and more, I, I think this guy is going to be a bigger impact player than James Booknight. And I don't think I would have said that one or two months ago. You know, he just, he's fearless. He drives mm-hmm. to the rim. He can contort his body at the rim. I, I tweeted this, but he has like the right mix of being under control while also attacking the rim hard. Um, he even had this one drive where he had like a mini hook shot in the third yep. quarter. He actually had a couple of nice passes as well. Like, you know, the, I know they used him like when he was a rookie in summer league as a point guard, and he's not a point guard by any means. It, it, that that experiment failed. But yes, you know, on a second side after a couple of swings, he can drive against a bent defense, and he had a couple of plays where he drove. He drew in defenders, and he made a nice dump-off pass to P.J. Washington, and P.J. went up for a dunk. Uh, he made an early left corner three as well. I made a note of that for Cody. He just feels mm-hmm. more comfortable overall on the court on both ends, but more more so on offense, and I think that's where the biggest hole was last year for him. Yeah, for, you know, four assists for Cody tonight as well. Uh, 27 minutes, he w- was actually by far tonight played the most minutes off the bench. This was really kind of the first uh, non-factor game for Ish Smith. Uh, he hit his first shot, which was like a mid-range like his pull up. mid-range pull-up. But then other than that, he just was was basically invisible tonight. S- some of that, I think, was due to the fact that LaMelo Ball scored the ball and was incredibly aggressive offensively tonight. But just just not a great game from Ish Smith. The other thing you mentioned, like Cody Martin, again, takes one three and makes it tonight. It looked incredibly confident taking it. The other thing with Cody, Rich, is like he's almost starting to feel like indispensable from a defensive standpoint. When he's out there, or, or, or I, should, I should say when he's not out there, it's like kind of almost noticeable and I know you I think you highlighted it in either a tweet or maybe even a clip he seemed to be one of the only guys that was like very willing to throw his body into both of those bigs for the Cavs and like root them out of the lane to allow this team to actually get a defensive rebound the Cavs had 17 offensive rebounds tonight the Hornets had 21 so they did their fair share of it too and actually Cody had five I think the Hornets' offensive rebounding has actually been really impressive this season. I think 
more athleticism, more length has a lot to do with that. But just to kind of put a bow on, on the Cody Martin talk, um, you know, he is by far less of an offensive liability than he was last year. I think he's taken another step again as a defender and yeah, he, I mean, look, just simply like he is an integral part of this core now. Um, and, and I think I've just found myself over the last couple of the games, like kind of realizing just how indispensable he is defensively. I would agree. And I think this team overall defensively has to get more physical, especially well on both out on the perimeter, but also down low. And we saw that the Hornets really had no answer for Jared Allen tonight. Yeah. He's another imposing big, a physical big. That is that is that is like the like the mo for opposing teams. Like if you have one of those guys, you're going to give the Hornets some issues. And Sabonis, for example, in the opener had like 30 plus points, I believe. But I also think that perimeter defense, and I and I know I've said this like year after year after year with this team, perimeter defense will still be like an underlying factor here because I think everyone sees the end results of like an easy dunk or a putback or an offensive rebound like you're mentioning. But if you can't prevent teams from getting into the paint uh, or keeping them out of the paint, I should say, you're going to have a lot of big stepping up like Plumlee or, or Miles Bridges or P.J. Washington, and then you have those easy dump-offs, you have those mismatches, like you just have people out of position. So I, I think a lot of people look at the end result and they see these like offensive rebounds that you mentioned. And Jared Allen was way more of a factor in the first half than he was in the second half. But overall, like those imposing bigs are going to give a lot of trouble to the Hornets this year. And I'm not like advocating like bringing back biz by any means, but (laughs) at at least like he tried and like cared and had some physicality down there. Like there that's that's something that's really lacking. Even if PJ has the physicality or he wants to show it like he doesn't have the height. So sometimes that that limits him down there as well. So that's going to be interesting, like moving forward, how they're going to defend bigger players, because one, they like to go small. And then number Mm -hmm. two, when they don't go small. Plumley is just, you know, he's just not giving you much down there. But again, it still goes back to that perimeter defense as well. No, I agree. And I mean, look, like you look at these three losses that the Hornets have, you already mentioned, you know, Sabonis kind of giving us fits and, and the Hornets, you know, pulled that game out in dramatic fashion. No answer for Bam in the Miami loss mm-hmm. last Friday. Um, no answer tonight for Jared Allen and even Mobley at times kind of on the offensive glass and and sticking his nose in there. So like, just to your point, like, and, 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 and even the Celtics game, Robert Williams, um, who is not a star by any means, but just a, like has a BAM profile from a physical standpoint. He's not nearly as skilled as BAM, um, but even Robert Williams had like 12 points and 16 rebounds against the Charlotte Hornets. So it's just this kind of either pogo stick, yeah. uh, seven foot profile guy like Jared Allen that the Hornets struggle with, or it's that kind of like powerful, explosive big that can patrol the glass that the Hornets struggle with as well. And the other thing I'll say is like, you know, if you, if you were to boil down the five and two start, and this is what I tweeted about earlier today, you know, the Hornets were cooking with the second best, the second most efficient offense in the entire NBA. Um, tonight, the Hornets shoot 41% from the field with 17 turnovers. They score 110 points, like well, well under 
what they had been doing from an efficiency standpoint, like per 100 possessions. So, you know, we can talk about all these things and it's, and it's absolutely true. It's why the Hornets are not a championship contender and they're probably just hopefully like a frisky playoff team at this stage in their, in their development. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but my point here that I'm trying to make is this is not like a stalwart defensive team. And because that's the case, they're going to have to be incredibly efficient offensively. They have been up to this point in the season. They were not tonight. And that's how you get this result, a loss to a team at home that on net, I think you're more talented than, but you get off to the slow start. You don't make enough shots. You're pressing. You're having to play your starters more minutes to catch up. And, you know, this is what happens. Do you think there's an answer? Like how can the Hornets go against these imposing bigs? Like, or is it just a personnel issue? Like, like you know, Mason Plumley is Mason Plumley, and he's not going to change in terms of his physicality. Our perimeter defense is lacking. Like, do they play more zone? But I guess that's more susceptible to giving up offensive rebounds. Like, I just don't know what you do with some of these bigger players, and it could be, like I said, an issue all season. Yes, I don't think that there is necessarily a clear answer on this roster right now. Um, Richards? <laughs> <laughs> Nick Richards was okay in his four minutes tonight. He had a nice little pick and roll with LaMelo. You know, he had a couple rebounds in traffic. But, no, I mean, you know, I, I, I think Richards is 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 an, another kind of interesting little player development story happening. But, obviously, he he's, you know, of course, he's not the answer to, to these kind of more structural issues. I, I think, and this may sound like a cop-out, but, like, I think the answer – uh, at least for now, until this this team can either uh, you know make a move to address it. And then, look, this is a hard problem to address. Like these type of guys that patrol the paint and are explosive, massive athletes, they they don't grow on trees, you know. And 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 there are just teams in the NBA that don't have them because there are literally that many humans don't exist that every NBA team can have one. I think the answer to it is. Is is the is what the Hornets have been doing this season? It's the offensive efficiency. It's the ball movement. It's the shot making. It's playing small at times and kind of trying to like use that leverage against their opponent. Um, but particularly like particularly once you get to the playoffs, though, that becomes really tough over a seven game series. I mean, you know, you, you've seen like what a guy like Bam can do to the Boston Celtics in a seven game series, going to back to that bubble series. Um, where they beat them in the Eastern Conference Finals, like the, these type of athletes that that again are super unique and rare, they can just exert their will, you know, over over uh, the length of a game and certainly over the length of a series. So, um, you know, look, the, the Hornets have done a fantastic job building this roster, but that that is still a, a key flaw. Um, that they're going to have to address either via trade, free agency, or the draft, um, and, and I don't think that I don't think there's a clear answer at hand right now. It's funny. I was about to bring up the trade talk, but I think it's I think it's too too early too early to talk about that uh, trade. Not for Twitter, you know. Twitter, well, no, not for Twitter, not for Twitter. I just I actually just shared a tweet in this uh, Twitter spaces here. It was the clip where there was like three Cavaliers right underneath the basket. I think like three Hornets were in the picture. I think two were still in the backcourt trying to get back on defense. You know what play I'm talking about? The yeah, yeah, yes. And, and I, I think know exactly there was a couple plays like that where Mason Plumley like 
he, he one of them like he dove for a loose ball i think it's the one that i'm sharing right now on twitter and then also there's one where he made like a save but he never got back in time like i don't know what was happening like obviously the camera doesn't show like how hard yep. he was hustling back on on defense but a couple of times like that where like he makes a hustle play so you like that out of him but then he never gets back on defense transition right. defense has been has been poor well defense overall for the hornets has been poor this year but definitely transition as well um, any other notes that you want to talk about in this game specifically? I guess LaMelo had another two quick fouls within the first, like, four or five minutes of the game of the first quarter. It didn't, I mean, I think he, I know he ended up with, like, five fouls in the game, but it felt like. He, he actually ended up fouling out, like, right at the very, oh, okay. it didn't matter, but, like, right at the very end. Yeah, yeah okay. But uh, I guess what I'm getting at is, like, after he sat down for that long stretch in the in the first half because of those fouls, it felt like in the in the second half at least the fouls kind of were more spaced out, I guess. So, but I, I don't think like I don't think there's any kind of rhyme or reason to some of his fouls that he has sometimes. Like I'm, I'm trying to pinpoint like what it is. Is it over aggression? Is it just silly fouls? Like first one he had was just like technique, not sliding his feet, yeah. making contact with his body, making contact with his hands. And the second one he was helping out on a pass, and he just kind of slaps down on Markinen he's just got to be more aware of it. Like he's got to know that early in the game that you might just have to give up a layup. Like you mentioned on the previous pod, like just allow the layup, you know, save the foul so that you're not having, you know, to take yourself out of the game because we do see nights like tonight where Ish Smith doesn't have his best game coming off the bench. And again, that's another trend, not a trend in, in the right direction, but another trend that we're seeing. Any other thing that you want to note from this game before we get to a, uh, a listener question here? Yeah, just two quick thoughts. Number one, obviously, Miles Bridges, like, first kind of stinker from an efficiency standpoint. He was four for 18 from the field. He was one for seven from three. But what I will say, like, Bridges still had eight assists. He still had nine rebounds. He still had three steals and two blocks. So it was a it was a frustrating night for Bridges offensively. Like, you could see that um, on his face at times during this game. But what I, what I do like and kind of why I'm, like, optimistic on this, like, potential, potential, I'm, I'm saying potential, potential all-star campaign for Miles Bridges right now is even in a night where he really had, like, his C game uh, offensively, he still impacted the game in a lot of ways. It was still so obvious that in the moments where Borrego was just trying to, you know, you know, hold water and give Bridges some minutes on the bench. Like it was painfully obvious the Hornets needed him back in the game, even with him struggling mm-hmm. to make to make a run back at this Cavs team, which they did late in the fourth quarter. So I think that's you know obviously you're going to want to see Miles shoot the ball better than he did tonight. But with the blistering start he had, like he eventually was due for one of these type of games. Also, to be fair, like I do think Mobley and Allen bothered him at times around the rim a little bit. And then the only other little slight point I was going to make, Kelly Oubre tonight, one for eight. Like this has just become kind of a uh, a constant. And I think this is something Hornets fans are going to have to get used to this year with Kelly Oubre. There are going to be games like the Portland game a couple nights ago where he's absolutely brilliant, and there are going to be games like tonight where he looks completely lost and, you know, airballs a three. I think there will even – and there has been. Like, 
in the Boston Celtics game, Kelly Oubre went five for five from three in the first half and over five from three in the second half. So I'm just trying to like get this message out there that the offensive roller coaster that is Kelly Oubre is something we just have to strap ourselves in for. And we just have to understand that like, this is going to be a lot of up and down with him. And there are going to be nights where he looks brilliant. And there are going to be nights where he really hurts the team. And I don't think that's necessarily good or bad. That is just what you get with a, you know, what $12 million wing player. Like there, there are obvious flaws there. Um, but but he's still been he's still been really impactful and honestly he he shot the ball on on net he shot the ball pretty well this year. Yeah, I tweeted out something today where he's actually shot the ball from behind the arc seven plus times in four games and half, half the games this year he's taken seven plus three point attempts. He's actually second on the team in total attempts from behind the arc, and he's. I believe he's second or third. He's third in three-point percentage of players that have taken at least 20 attempts. So it is an up-and-down thing, but he's actually shot the ball better from behind the arc than I probably would have anticipated headed into totally. the season. Agree with that. Yeah. Yes, agree with that. So let's get to this Twitter question before we wrap here, and also anyone in Twitter spaces, if you guys would like to speak or comment, any questions like that, we would definitely take one. But this is from Eli Peterson on Twitter. Should end-of-game offense be based on getting Miles the ball and letting him go to work? And uh, we were just kind of talking about this, how Borrego kept him in the game uh, because they know that he's going to be impactful in other areas and not just shooting the ball. One player that did not have a good game either is Gordon Hayward, but he didn't play at all down the stretch. So it's not, you know, he was very unlike Miles. Miles stayed in. Hayward did not. So to this question, I I think that he has improved – tremendously over the past year or so and in his first couple of seasons he was primarily a spot-up guy and I think if this question was asked you know 12 15 months ago I think you would look at this guy like he's crazy like yeah let, let's go to the end of game with miles here like that that's a crazy question to ask but like today as we speak like he's got to be in the conversation for that top guy like when they draw something up on the board who are they going to go to I, I think the fact that he has a variety of ways in which he can score. Um, he's got the handle to break down the defense. He has the strength to punish mismatches. He's got the ability to shoot off the dribble. He's got a step back game. It's just much tougher to defend this guy versus like his first two seasons into his career. So I think overall, I do think it depends on the matchup. And I think Borrego does a good job in terms of turning to the hot hand. Uh, If a team has like smaller guards like we've seen in the past, they might turn to Hayward and kind of work that mismatch with the pick and roll. But if the hot hand is Miles and he's he's having a good game, like I think he's got to be in the conversation, you know, whether it's, you know, it's Mello or or G or or Terry Rozier. Like those are the guys that you're going to be having that conversation with. Completely agree. I mean, and and like to Eli's point and his question, like Miles Bridges – is much more in that conversation than he was even just a year ago. Um, I still think from a late game offense standpoint, you're still going to see, I mean, obviously not tonight because he just didn't play very well. And, 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 and you alluded to this, like Borrego elected to go with Cody late in the game rather than Hayward. Um, I still think you're going to see a lot of pick and roll matchup hunting with Gordon Hayward late in games. He's been really efficient and been a good clutch shooter in those situations. You're still going to see a ton of kind of spread pick and roll stuff with Lamelo. Um, but but you're right, Rich. Like you're gonna you you we have and you're going to see 
uh, Borrego pick and choose and try and get Miles, you know, some, some mismatches, try and get him isolated to rip through and use his kind of newly found dribble drive stuff that he's, that he's been pretty good at. And then again, you, you mentioned Rozier. There's going to be a ton of late late game action to try to spring Rozier to like uncork that deadly jumper. So it's a mixed bag. It's not as simple as just let Bridges go to work, mm-hmm. but that is absolutely like a piece of it. And I, I think you'll see kind of all four of those guys um, get play calls late in games. And then of course, you know, you're, you're likely to see PJ closes the five a good bit too, like he did um, tonight in that kind of last little run push there. Yeah, we didn't mention PJ a lot tonight. I feel like we should have because he did have another good game. Maybe not to the extent of the uh, the previous game, but he had a, a pretty solid game. Before we wrap, we do have a speaker request from Maxton. So, Maxton, do you have a, a comment or a question? Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you. Go ahead. Um, I was wondering, who would you compare Miles Bridges' game to? It could be past or present. I was thinking maybe Vince Carter, but I want to see what y'all have your Hmm. It's a good question, like the Vince Carter aspect with the dunks. And Vince Carter kind of found his three-point shot later in his career. Um, man, that, that's hard to kind of like gauge, Lee. I, I don't really, I'm trying to think of a guy that has like the physical qualities of Miles Bridges that can get up off the court, but also now has developed like an on-the-ball type of game. Like I, I'm just trying to think of a guy that is like a yeah, facsimile. I, I just can't. I got one guy that comes to mind. The problem with him is kind Michael of depending Jordan. on your... Michael Jordan? Yeah, yeah my exact, Dr. J, I think <laughs> a little bit. No, I think depending on your age, it'll depend on kind of what your view of this guy was because late in his career, he was nothing like Miles Bridges, but early in his career, I think he was actually a lot like Miles Bridges, and that's Richard Jefferson. You know, a six seven Ford that kind of shot the ball better late in his career, but was just an absolute, like, violent athlete. I don't know if Richard Jefferson ever – I mean, to be fair, like, I don't know if Jefferson ever necessarily put the ball on the floor as good as Miles has this year. But, like, from a physical profile standpoint, from an athletic standpoint, complemented with, like, being a decently efficient shooter, um, like, Richard Jefferson comes to mind for me. Yeah, it's tough. It's it's a good question, but probably just because I can't answer it, Max, and I, I apologize. Maybe I need more time to think on that. So we definitely appreciate the question there, Max, and we appreciate everyone for joining us here on Twitter Spaces. If you guys are listening to us for the first time, definitely take out that 30 to 45 seconds and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast. Uh, that's Lee. I'm Richie. We will see you guys next time.